0: Hello and welcome back to The Facilitator's Guide for episode two. My name is Patrick Gallagher, your host, and in this episode, I get to introduce you to the amazing Megan Grace, who is a longtime friend and former colleague of mine. As a quick disclaimer, this episode is an experiment with a, a longer format conversation as Megan and I dive deep into her expertise and research on Generation Z, and a number of her different experiences as a consultant, facilitator, and speaker. So we cover a lot of different things. So with that, let me introduce you to Megan. So Megan Grace is an international speaker, author, podcast host, special projects manager, and consultant. She started researching Generation Z in 2013 and has since co-authored three books, And has launched a podcast to help share the stories, insights, and experiences of Generation Z. Her work focuses on the views, values, and behaviors of today's youth and young adults as they navigate the world, grow up, go to school, go to college, enter the workplace, and beyond. In the first part of our conversation together, you'll hear more about Megan's background and some of her favorite and most recent meaningful experiences, and we're going to share a couple of really fun, ex- fun stories together. And then we're going to take a deep dive into her research with Generation Z. And then from there, we'll explore more of her work as a consultant, facilitator, and speaker, and the different tactics and skills that she applies in her practice. And so, for for anyone listening in who engages with smaller, large groups, especially anybody doing work with Generation Z, I think you're going to get a lot of value and meaning out of this episode of the podcast. And so without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let me know what you think about the longer format in an audio message, email, or on social media. Enjoy. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Facilitator's Guide. I have joining me today the incredible Megan Grace. Say hi, Megan.
1: Hi, everyone. And hi, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me.
0: <laughs> you are so welcome. Um, so I actually want to start our conversation by sharing with you, I think, why I've been so excited for for us to to chat on the, the podcast today. And what's I think what's really funny, I think you and I talked about this a little bit, but literally the moment that this podcast was inspired, you were one of the first people that came to my mind of like, oh my gosh, it'd be amazing to have this conversation with. And I want you to imagine, like, during the initial manic brainstorm of, like, oh, I have this idea. It was 6 a.m. Wednesday morning. I was in a lift and I was writing down, and I was like, I want to talk with Megan. Oh my gosh. Yes.
1: I guess I'm a little concerned. First of all, I'm definitely never up at like 6 a.m. So. Uh, thanks, but I am so concerned. I guess I'm a little worried. Like, why I came to mine first? Like, I think it's hopefully going to be complimentary. But I don't yes,
0: know. yes. So here is here is like upon reflection, like this is this is why I, I think with everything of what this podcast is about, speaking, facilitating, and creating meaningful moments. Like, I would consider you to be the paragon of this, and that you live your life and making meaningful moments both for the people that you teach, but also with life, with your friends, with the people that are important to you. And so I think that's the part where, where I had this like, ah, like Megan is the perfect person. And I think also too, is like you sit at this like really crazy intersection of deep experience and research in a demographic of emerging import. And then also like the higher education and learning world, plus like your work in international speaking and, and consulting. Like you have like such this powerful crossroads of all of the, these different perspectives and a passion and love for making really magical moments for people. Um, and so I was like, this is like, this is the type of person that should be in this conversation.
1: So it's so funny that you say that they're magical moments. I was just at Disneyland with friends and <laughs> I have a friend that like, uh, she used to work for Disney. So she was telling me all about like the back end of like how they make magical moments happen. And I was like, I want to be the chief magic moment operator of like giving out magical (laughs) moments. I don't, I don't ever think that I'm like a magical moment person, like on the surface that you ever meet and be like, wow, that girl's a ray of sunshine. Um, but I do really care about the people that I work with. And I'm, I would say I'm a ferocious teammate and it's weird because you and I actually used to be, used to be coworkers and now we both work for nobody and everybody at the same time. And so like, I don't have teammates. And so when I can have the opportunity, (laughs) I invest a lot into the people I do get to spend time with. And I think, my clients and the people I speak with can kind of see that come through. And I'm not intending to brag, but like, I'm an intense person. I know that. (laughs) So I'm glad to be here and kind of share a little bit of that intensity today. Intensity sounds like we're doing a workout. We're not everybody chill. We're gonna be okay. (laughs) Like, we're going to be fine. Uh,
0: Ferocious is such a powerful descriptor. You you care ferociously and you love your friends ferociously. And that's like, I think it's such a powerful descriptor.
1: That's like the way that I had to just start describing it when I, like, as an adult, when I make friends with people, like, I just now have like this disclaimer of like, when I love you, I'm going to love you. One second. second. Penelope, please stop. Come on. Come lay down under the table. Sorry about that. No worries. Carry on.
0: Well, we were we were talking about loving ferociously, and I was just reminiscing about the moment when I think we had that conversation, and it like could have occurred you know a number of times, but I think maybe a, a paramount experience of that was when you let me stay at your place after I just finished globe trotting and was deathly ill from some version of of sickness from Thailand or, or Greece or one of the stops that I had made, and you you and waffles the cat literally nursed me back to to health, and and I just like that's been a, a memory that. I, like when I think about friends and, and what they do to support each other like that that's something that has like come up as an example of that for me
1: oh yeah I'm like I and I think that that like there's so much carryover into thinking about how you take that into your life as like a professional of like uh, can you treat your coworkers friends and do that and like I think that's something that I learned when we worked together um and when we worked specifically within that organization of how much like you can treat your workplace and the people you work with like family. And that changes the perspective of what changes the perspective of the effort that you put into your work and the, the impact of your work. Um, and so I always think back to like all of my coworkers that I developed at that time, like taught me so much about that. And you were definitely one of those people. Like I can think back to that time and think about all the friends slash family, like coworkers that I made during that timeframe and like the lessons you can pull away from them. Um, And you're always always been my traveling buddy and like you always go on these wild trips like I do. So I just appreciate that. And so you're like, I need a a quiet place where no one's going to find me. It's like, did you commit a crime? Because I'm not going to be a part of that. You're like, no, I just need somewhere quiet. I was like, well, good. I have a very sloth like cat uh, that will help you. And if I remember
0: correctly, I think I walked up at, like, 3 in the morning after getting off of a Greyhound bus. um, Yeah. The the mile from the Greyhound bus station to your place. That was weird, dude. I
1: was (laughs) was really concerned for, like, if I was about to be, like, harboring a fugitive in my home. Yeah. Which I would probably do for the story, don't get me wrong. But, like, for my street cred, like, which I have none. But I think my street cred would have been, like, definitely, definitely. um, It would have been problematic. So, I'm glad you didn't commit any crimes. You were just the travel blues,
0: you know? Yeah, me too. man. what a different life we'd be living if you harbored a fugitive and I was that fugitive.
1: I think we need to stop having this conversation on the record <laughs> if that's the case.
0: <laughs> okay, well then we'll segue to the first question. When I was thinking about, you know, the opportunity to have this conversation, you know, you're somebody, you're a globetrotter, you're a jet-setting consultant and speaker who loves making and participating in meaningful experiences. And so I'd love to get a little bit of a sense of You know, what's been an experience that you've been to lately that's rocked your world? Like, what's been something where you're like, this was
1: magic? Let's see, like professionally or like in life, or I would say
0: life or or professionally, we could go down either route.
1: So, I think it's a little bit two parts. So, uh, same trip, weirdly enough, but uh, two different things. And so, uh, this year for my, like, I was taking adult spring break. I think it's really important that especially if you live somewhere seasons, you like need to emerge from the winter and like take a break. And so I actually went on this week long ski trip with one of my best friends. Um, and we made best friends with another person were there, like just absolute soulmate level friends. And, um, it, we were with like 200 people from all over the world that came in for this It's called the ski week. It's incredible. And it was like this week that I really, really needed to just like disconnect. I'm a like terrible skier, like awful, you can ask my ski instructor there, but it was just this time to like sit and take in nature, which I don't do and disconnect and like be around really high achieving other young professionals and not even like necessarily network, but like soul work, I guess is the best way I could put it as like, you are connecting with like-minded people in this beautiful place. And, in kind of like, it felt like summer camp, It felt a lot like summer camp. Um, But then on the way back from that, I was actually um, invited to speak at a a summit type event in London. And so I was speaking about my research in London and it was, I would say, probably a highlight of my, my year so far in 2019 to be able to speak like that. Um, I spoke after their like secretary of education, which I was like, I'm not qualified to do this. I need everybody to know that. But then like, they were like, no, you absolutely are. And so like, I went through these peaks and valleys of like feeling credible, like I'm supposed to be there. Like I was like some American that came in and like was talking about research. And I was like, is this going to land or not? And it was actually one of the things that I I would say one of the speaking agents that I've had like the best, I guess, most surprising response to um, in the sense that people really did see it and they they did accept it and they were seeing it in their work and um, I got a lot of really positive feedback from that speech and it was a, at this beautiful location in London and um, it really just, it kind of ignited me to think about uh, what a magical moment It is like my research can have implications for people over the world, but also it like always identifies a way in which I could be doing more. And so mm-hmm. thinking about like ways that I can continue to utilize my work for other countries or other international settings, um, because my work, it talks about today's young people and like the young people in the world are not just in the U S like they're literally all over the globe. And so, yeah, I would say it was two of those. Like I needed to recharge, I think, and, and take some time and some snow with some good people, and then um, get my brain back to work, and and I, I came back really refreshed from that trip.
0: Absolutely, I'm going to ask you a question about more some of the more specific things that you do with mm-hmm. your your work in a moment, but I want to ask a follow up question. So, for the ski week, wh- mm-hmm. which ski week did you? Do? Was it the one in Europe? Was it Aspen? Was it Canada? Um, and what was your favorite memory on that trip?
1: So, I would say, oh, I mean, I was in Overtower, Austria. It's about an hour outside of Salzburg. Um, beautiful 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 like I've never I grew up in California I've lived all over the U.S. I've never seen a mountain like the Alps like in my life like I would be like what that that's real and I've like been to beautiful places where they've got great mountains like Washington and Colorado but so I was in overturn Austria and I would say like a high point of that it's like so cliche to say like you meet incredible people Um, But there's one specific day that just felt really communal and that's what they call the pond skim. And so the pond skim is this, they dig out this like huge, I think like a massive kiddie pool. Like it's really long um, and they create like this pond, like this shallow pond and people, not me because I'm a trash skier, but they like (laughs) ski or snowboard. It's not suggested to snowboard, but they ski down this really steep hill outside of this cool like little ski lodge restaurant bar thing at very high speeds like i swear to you these people were like hired olympic skiers and then i found <laughs> that they were everyday people that were there and the whole point is you take so much momentum and you try to skim all the way across the pond and then out the, the back end, like you get judged on outfits and style and like all the cool stuff you do. Like one guy like drank a beer, like as he was going across, I'm like, I can barely hold two poles in skis. So this is, you're just showing <laughs> up now. Um, but it's really cool because people are cheering and having like a really fun time and every, like, it, certainly there's winners, but everybody is just like, this is the coolest thing. And it's so unique to this event. Like people, the people of Overtown come to this event, like all of like, the people that live and work at these lodges come in for this. Um, and like, weirdly, just after that, it turns into like this really fun outdoor party, like around the pond scam. They have like um, this fun, like blow up igloo and they have a DJ and great food. And just like, it was just like friends during the day, hanging out, having fun, like lodge food, like best schnitzel of my life and it was just great um and another high point of that day was that there was this like little Austrian ski school that like um skied by and they're like all like six and they don't (laughs) speak a lot of English at this point so this kid like stands in like I let this kid stand in front of me so he could see the pond skimmers I was like are you that good and he goes "Mm, no and I was like oh do you think you could ever do that and he was like yeah maybe and I was like next year he's like Yeah probably next year but like if you've ever seen like an Austrian youth as I called them an Austrian child ski like inevitably next year he'll be on the pond skin so.
0: Oh my gosh yeah there's nothing (laughs) like a a six-year-old who can totally
1: shred. Oh yeah he was and then like two seconds later he was snapped into his skis and like doing little jumps and I was like great like this kid could teach me something so (laughs) that's like a highlight of my day like when I think of like the really good photos it's just like People from literally all over the world coming together to just like kind of have our own little Olympics, if you will, um, and just celebrate a good time like this beautiful sunny day on the mountain.
0: I, I love that. I uh so I have been to the ski week in Aspen um mm-hmm. and can totally attest to the environment and everything that you're talking about. Um and I'm actually a past Pondskin participant.
1: Get um, out of here, you uh, clown. Yep. How did I not know that?
0: Uh I I kept it quiet. Um I there's a small thirty second video of me going across and then making it about three quarters of the way and, Ooh, then, and then totally, really totally crashing fall. and burning. Yep, it's my skis fall. my skis flew everywhere yep. and they snapped off and so I had to jump back in, which is like, that's the embarrassing mm. part because everybody's yep. jeering you and, and yelling at you. And,
1: or the snowboarders can't get out and you're like, ooh, yeah, sorry that, for you. I'd be
0: nervous about that. That's kind of tough. Um,
1: I think my one true calling, that ski week is, I'm not going to ever be good enough to pond skim. I'm past that in my life. <laughs> but where I think I would thrive is helping with the outfits um, of the oh skimmers yeah. and general crowd hyping um, whipping votes to get people cheering for my people. Like
0: there is a conspiracy. The whipping votes is like an essential part to winning.
1: Yeah. I've already done a little bit of like pre-collusion, um, for one of my <laughs> friends that wasn't this last year for next year. I don't even know if I'm going next year, but I'm like, can we get your vote? Can we get your cheers? Like, so, you
0: know, sure, you got to plant the seeds now so that, you know, ski future, week. future ski weeks. You're good. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. All right, Megan. So you, you mentioned a little bit about, about your work and, uh, you know, our, our listeners will have been introduced a little bit to to what you do, and and just to give some some background context, you're you're a three time author with Generation Z Goes to College, Generation Z Leads, and Generation Z: A Century in the Making. You're a blogger, you're a serial podcaster, and among many other things of, of who Megan Grace is. But let's let's zero in a little bit about some of the the work that you've spent a lot of your professional career developing a mastery in, and that is this emerging. Demographic of Generation Z. Um, I'd love for, for you to to provide a, a little bit of a, an introduction to, to Generation Z to, to our listeners and give us a little bit of a, a general understanding of, you know, what is Gen Z, what's some of the context, and what are some of the general characteristics that, that defines this this demographic?
1: I started doing this work and understanding generation Z from like the ultimate professional development quest, if you think about it. Um, I was working in higher education. I mean, I do work in higher education, but I was working on a campus at the time, and it really came from wanting to know who my students were and knowing that my students were different than I was um, as a millennial college student and i'm I'm not that far removed in terms of age from the oldest gen Z but there's some really market difference. And so we were we being my co-author and research partner at the time worked with students directly in leadership programs and we're like the students are coming in with different motivation, they're asking different questions, yada yada yada. And so what that led to was us just uh, wanting to find out more about this generation and then determining if there was a gap in the research and we really found that there was. Like there was a lot on like what they were planning on spending their money on and you know, some other more market research type things, but nothing related to what they look like as students and what they wanted out of their college experience. So we did two studies, one original study in 2014 and another original study in 2017. The first one's mixed methodology. So it includes quantitative and qualitative components. And the second one is purely qualitative. And so sorry to get a little research nerdy on you, but our our second study was that um, completely open-ended. Like we were asking these really broad questions of, you know, what do you like, how will your generation change the world? And um, what is an ideal learning environment for you? And things like that. And so we're asking these really broad questions that had implications far beyond college, and we weren't even thinking about it in that way. Like, we really were like, oh, we would really like to write about like, um some themes that are emerging around students that are in honors colleges like and so we had some of these qualifiers but we realized that we had so much more data than we ever knew what to do with and so we that led actually to our second book we were thinking we were going to do some like what we called compendium books where it's like uh this in in this context of like uh uh, athletes or in the context of honors college or in the the context of orientation Mm-hmm. Um, and how you apply that research, but the themes that emerged, like when we asked, "like What to you makes a good life?" That's a huge implication um, for what it means for their aspirations and what it means for their future careers and and what they are hoping for in life. And so, yeah, what has it has led to is us understanding this generation um, in new ways and, and actually looking at a demographic study. We kind of qualify our work within social demography and um, looking at this generation from a really more science standpoint not just thinking about market research market research is so helpful we'll never knock that but thinking about triangulating an entire generation and thinking about how do we understand a generation from multiple data sources so when we observe Mm -hmm. a, a trend in something we can say we see it in this study in this study in this study in this study our studies along with other people's Um, To really give it a robust look at a a generation. And so that's kind of the more technical things that I do and how that's led to some other stuff is obviously people want to know about this, this group. Some people think of them as consumers. Some people are thinking about them as students. Some of them, people are thinking about them as employees Um, and what this means for the next frontier. Some people just want to know about how to engage this group. So um, I do a lot of speaking and training. I I think it's more training than it is just me like speaking, but I do um, large group trainings. I do small group trainings or, you know, I'm working with 10 people and, and, but, you know, it doesn't really matter if I'm talking to 10 people or 400 people, the level of attention that you have to to put into something is is the same. That's also led to some consulting. So people want to know, like, is this product, is this program fit for today's young people and whatever instance. And then obviously, I run a podcast, it's called hashtag Gen Z. And this is a really cool way that I get to kind of corroborate in in an unofficial fashion, uh, some of the things I've learned in my research. So I interview people that are members of Generation Z to talk about a component of some of the research that we're seeing emerge or a theme that we're seeing emerge. And then Um, Sometimes I also interview people that work closely with Generation Z. So I interviewed a young man that I interact with on campus, and he actually runs a small consulting firm where he and some of his Gen Z peers work with businesses that want to update their websites and their online communication to be more engaging for Generation Z consumers. So we talked about communication and what matters to Gen Z and communication and the messaging that matters. And then, you know, I also um, going to be releasing an episode soon here about mental health. And so I connected with someone that uh, works day in and day out with young people in Generation Z, uh, specifically around mental health and, and self-care. So my job's really cool. It's really nebulous. Like my mom's like, who do you work for? And I'm like, doesn't matter, mom, I pay my bills, okay? And she's like, I don't <laughs> like when you say that because I'm concerned about where your money's coming from. Uh, no, she, she knows that I, I, I do nothing illegal, but... Um, you know, I work for a lot of people and nobody, and sometimes I feel like I do work for just a more in, informed society, and that might just be me being really altruistic. But I, um, really, just uh, yeah, we worked a little bit all over the place in a good way. As a
0: as a as a longtime fan of of Megan Grace, uh, I think one of the things that I I like sit back and I'm just like <laughs> I get blown away with is you know you think about how how popularized the the like millennial descriptors and labeling has become given that we sort of have that that's like our lived experience and what we've had like all day for you to be on like the cutting edge trend of developing the research and consolidating the different trends, but also then now playing an active role in helping prepare people for engaging with and, and dealing with this this generation like for for me as a, as a friend of yours like it's just like i just am so proud and excited of, of the work that you do um and i'm so excited that we like it feels so privileged that we get to have this conversation and, and dive into this um and so w- one of the things that i was that i was thinking about was you know for the context for a lot of people listening in a, a lot of the a lot of the people tuning in are people who are current or aspiring speakers or facilitators looking to, to deal with different groups. And I think one of the the biggest things that people deal with in that space is, you know, really contextualizing the the audience that they're, they're going to be working with. And since you have such a powerful like lens and perspective, both in really deeply understanding this audience, but then also to like speaking and engaging with that audience, but also others. um, Can you share a little bit more about like, you know, what, what are some of those characteristics and trends that, that you've identified in your work and, and you know, maybe provide some remarks on how that's impacted what, what you do?
1: Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, Generation Z, they're not hyper-millennials. A lot of people think that they're so close in age, like they've got to be so similar. Yeah, there's certainly some similarities that we can boil down, but there's a lot of difference, like a lot of difference. And so... Um, we're looking at the young people that are born 1995 to 2010. Uh, that's like anybody that's 24 at the very oldest turning 25 next year. And the very youngest are going to be eight turning nine. And so that is a really large demographic as well. Um, like that's a span. If you think about like how different life is, um, being nine and versus being 24, uh, there's a lot going on there. And so we're still learning so much about them because they're still growing up and our very oldest do have some millennial characteristics, some millennial traits, but like 13 year olds today are so incredibly different than 13 year olds were when, you know, I was 13 or, uh, whatever that might be. So some, some main characteristics, and I think that, um, characteristics and values specifically for thinking about facilitators and, and leaders and people that are, um, potentially trying to engage this group is first and foremost like this generation is very digitally connected and that is like a a key component of them but with that they have this ability to look into lives and look into things and gather information um and sniff out what is kind of bs and so they are a, a generation that demands authenticity and like the smoke and mirrors of things um it isn't always what they want and they can see through it. So like the flash and the pizzazz is great, um, but they want to know that there's substance and credibility in things, but they also want to know that there's a real person there, that like there's a human there, that um, that there's an attainable person um, that they're working with. And that's even from people that are teachers to people that are keynote speakers um, and are politicians. Like that's their biggest qualm is that politicians – don't really understand what other young people are concerned about. Um, and so when they think about really big public figures, they look at public figures and they say, these are public figures for a reason, but they're probably not people that I trust. And they even look at that when they think about celebrity culture as well. Um, they might look to those people as influencers, but they can't fully trust them. And so a big thing, they really do crave this uh, human connection and authenticity. And I, I think about how we weave that into what we do as speakers and, and sharing Um, storytelling and sharing about who we are and making things about the humans involved, Um, whether you're training a group of 10 employees or you're doing a a training for thousands of people um, at a conference. And so how do you weave in the component of authenticity? And I think that this is not just solely unique to Generation Z. All humans crave this. It's just they're the ones that are demanding it the loudest and that's Mm. a component of, of their cohort identity. Another aspect of it is they're very career-driven. They're very, um, very focused about future careers and financial security. And so they're looking at ways that they can find professional, um, professional experiences and, and professional connections. And um, so they have very broad networks. They are very good at online networking and, and finding people that could possibly be helpful um, to helping them on their path to career. Um, whatever that looks like for them, and so I think that that's an, another thing is they're they're go getters at much younger ages. They have a, a lot of clarity for the most part about what they want to do. So I think those are two really key characteristics with with this generation, specifically thinking about facilitators and um, speakers.
0: I had one, one follow-up question, because I think the, the things that you were mentioning about authenticity and, and substance and, and digital engagement were certain light, light, like, inspiration fires in my brain. Um, in, your, in your research and your work, like, would, you, would you, like, say that, like, the linking of that authenticity and increased digital engagement, like, would you say that's because of, like, the prevalence of platform, like, communication norms around things like Instagram or Snapchat, where you get, like, a more behind-the-scenes look or or their story like do you think it's because of those more intimate forms or like the way you can create more intimate forms of communication with those things that that's a, a normal value or expectation from this generation
1: yeah so with like with social media and digital connection they've had this opportunity to look into lives of public figures and if you're a public figure you have way more opportunity to fall from grace like everything you do is in a public sphere so like Let's say in the you know, early 90s, like if you were a public figure, like a, a celebrity, the, the times in which you could commit a major faux pas and it would spread really quickly is like you would have to do that at like a major public event or you'd have to release it to the media. Like you would have to it was very I think that there were more hurdles in that regard. Now it's like you post something on your story and some things in the, the, the back of your your frame um, that that can be the thing that is a lightning rod for people to either you know say you're a good person or a bad person whatever that is like we just in general everyday people celebrities public figures we open up our lives a lot more um in some ways it's great we can express vulnerability and connect with people in, in new ways that we never thought we could but we also are allowed to see into the lives of people that were previously considered like on this pedestal um and so we demand that they are human um in different ways. And when they are human and they make mistakes, I think that sometimes we put people through like an unfair, um, an unfair treatment, unfair trial, if you will, Uh, because it's so easy to put people on trial from a a, a distance behind a screen. So I think that with this, with the they're craving authenticity and their increased digital connection, it's like they want to see into the lives of people, but they also want you to be true to your values and be of integrity um, all the time.
0: That's 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 amazing. And now I I kind of wonder then like what's the implication or the impact for that being kind of an emerging norm for for people, and how does one adjust what they do in in between those moments of engagement? One of the other questions that I'd I'd love to pick your brain on is: Can you share a little bit about like some of the the common behaviors or, or actions that you typically see within within this generation?
1: Do you have like a specific context of where? Because like I've I've uh, I've got twenty two chapters of that (laughs) story in my brain, like quite literally. So,
0: well, I think the two things that I was really interested in in diving into. So, so I I I remember seeing some some different things where you talk about like the generation being more entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. than others, and you mentioned it with like being like having career aspirations and financial security, and like those are some anxieties that I feel like I also share. But -hmm. the other one that I think is also really interesting, especially in the the different Sort of social climates that we see now. You talk a lot about social activism being a a core sort of affect of of this particular generation. Can you share a little bit more about about both of those and what you've seen?
1: So first, they're incredibly socially minded. I think that they care about social issues more deeply um, in their lives at younger ages than any other generation has. I don't think that if you ask me, like, what's a social cause I care about, like, I don't think I was like until I was like twenty four, maybe twenty five was I able to identify something that I was like, I'm really fired up about this. Like I cared about causes, like I supported them in college, but like to be fully immersed and to understand them and, and figure out ways that I can contribute as an everyday citizen, it took me a long time to do that. Um, Generation Z has been doing that because they've got access to the internet um, at much younger ages, their ability to understand. And if they're like, if I want to research climate change at the age of 12, I can do that. And become a climate <laughs> change activist as soon as I can read or as soon as I can spread the word. Um, that's like if you ask any member of Generation Z, like what's the thing that defines their, their generation is they want to change the world um, and they have the social networks, they have the tools, they have the technological tools um, to do that at much younger ages. And so in our research, we're finding that they are socially active in the sense that they um, are natural born advocates in um, utilizing the tool that they have afforded to them, recognizing they might not have financial or political power right now. So they don't have a ton of money and they're not elected into office. What do they do? What do they have is this ability to to intake and disseminate information about things they care about. So they are activists. They are advocates for for things that they care about through things like social media and creating causes and educating other people. Um, And intertwined with that is this mindset that they're not doing it in traditional ways. And so they're actually looking at um, entrepreneurship and innovation and invention as a way to uh, solve some of the world's problems because it's something that an individual can do. An individual can start a company that impacts a cause. They can invent something that starts that, or that can impact a cause. And so they weave those two together. Most of the time, we're looking at young people that want to engage in entrepreneurship. Most of them aren't doing it because they're like, I need to get rich. Um, very few entrepreneurs actually get rich off of their first business or even their second business or their third business. Like Entrepreneurship is um, it's a rough game. And it takes time and it takes practice and there's no guidebook to my knowledge. There's no like, this is how you do it. Uh, But Generation Z is seeing that as an opportunity to both make money and contribute back to causes they care about. So um, it it taps into their passion for making the world a better place, but also designing a workplace that works for them and also being able to, to make some money along the way. So they want to change the world, but they also kind of want to get paid, uh, which is totally fine. Like I'm totally okay with that. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of that. And whether or not they're all going to go start businesses that change the world, I think there's something really valuable about um, engaging young people in entrepreneurial thought. If you boil down what entrepreneurship is, it's creative thinking to fill, to fill a niche or solve a problem. That is, There's nothing smarmy about that in, in business in my mind. Of If we're training young people specifically to think about business as a way to solve problems and not just as a way to make money, I think we're all going to be in a much better place.
0: I totally agree. Um, And I think it's such a, such an astute observation. Um, One of the other things that I I found really interesting about your work, and I think also just like my personal interest is some of the things that you remarked on about this generation being more the expectations around work being more driven towards purpose and fulfillment, like also with like Mm -hmm. impacting the world and then making money at the same time. Um, Have you noticed any, or do you have anything that you'd want to illuminate on around the demand and expectations for, for purpose and fulfillment in the workplace um, for this generation?
1: It's, I think it's, it's uh, imperative. I think you also, this is one of those things that certainly other generations care about this, but Generation Z is screaming at the loudest at a younger age. That's what we see oftentimes. Um, so everyone's going to say like, well, a baby boomer wants fulfillment and purpose in their work. Okay. But there might've just been other values that were more present at that time. And that's totally okay. Um, for Generation Z, it doesn't always have to be that they are changing the world, but they need to be changing someone's world. Um, And so Mm. how do we think about how do we think about coaching young people today that are entry level employees that want to make a difference, but they're in some ways at at the, the lower positions within the organization. And so I think that that's really on the responsibility of the leadership and the people that are supervising and managing this generation to when they're doing team coaching, when they're doing employee coaching, which I think coaching is really hot and and sexy right now is the term of really like, how do you manage the people you work with? Um, But it's this mindset around, if I'm talking with members of Generation Z within my organization, um, first they want to work for an organization that has a social output of some capacity. They, it's making the social good, but then how do they, we help them recognize their impact in small wins because not everything is going to be like, I invented the next big thing that is going to cure a disease. Or is going to change the way that we think about everything. So helping them find the small ways to do that of you made an impact today. So like if you have an employee that is very passionate about climate and environment change and uh, saving the environment and preservation, how do you channel that energy into a way that they can see that take place in their work? If the the company is not fully uh, a green company um, or has a green output, like is there a way that that young person can help create the office recycling program or do more discussions on um, the impact of individual environmentalism or um, individual actions that we can all take to be a little bit more green and really channeling that passion in that way to show that they've changed the world of at least their office or their team or whatever that might be. And so that's like just a, a management technique, a management thing that we can um kind of pause and think about when we're we're meeting with people in generation z like what are the ways that they can be contributing and changing again not the world but somebody's world mm-hmm.
0: and i think like what you just mentioned there about pausing and considering and sort of sitting with like who is this person and what are some of the context context and and values at play in in the background going to that meeting like i think that's just like a, a powerful lesson for for everything in life is being able to pause and consider what what are some of the the dynamics at play in in the background um, thank you for that um, so i wanted to wanted to zoom out a little bit and and focus more so on megan grace the the speaker and and consultant in some of your work and also sort of interweave your expertise wherever wherever we can for you as a as a speaker and as somebody who prepares to to communicate and engage with this this group like what would you say or like what would you consider around creating marketing or messaging that really resonates with this audience? Like, is there, is there something different with Generation Z versus Millennials or Baby Boomers or anything like that that, you, that you've noticed in, in your work?
1: So, for Generation Z, like they, are, they can see through brands and they can see through people that are fake. So, don't do that. That's like first and foremost.
0: Um, <laughs> don't be fake.
1: Yeah, don't be fake. Nobody likes that. Um, don't try to cover things up, own, own mistakes, own it. Like, and that's a hard thing. That's a vulnerable thing to do. Um, I would say that they are sticking with brands that will stick to their values and will, um, they are big into individual divestment and investment. And so when we think about the way that they, they spend their money, it's generally, they're more apt to engage with companies that are in alignment with their values. That's most people. Um, But they're also very fervent in talking about divesting in brands that are against their values um, and that they won't shop at certain places because it's supportive of X, Y, and Z. So I think that that's a component of it is being upfront with your values, being who you are. I think it's also a a way that you you frame a lot of that message. Uh, When I talk with clients that want to better engage young people, whether that's in the classroom or through marketing, I think about what is your message and what is the mechanism and what you're telling them that message. Um, it says a lot because you can say one thing, but your mechanism of delivery can say something completely different to them, like and your message gets completely lost. So people that are trying to engage with Generation Z, I think it's a matter of taking the time to reflect about who you are and what you do and what makes you the person to be able to do that the best. And maybe not the best, just really well. Um, is also another thing so I think that's a component of it they really love like very visually ad- advanced type things if we're thinking about brand and marketing strategy like the cool techie feeling of like a well-designed apple product is like as gemsy as it gets like smooth and sleek <laughs> I think is like the best way to put it like you look at a website that they design and it's all just like continuous flow it's beautiful it's like modern um i I can't box them in completely to everything but um they're also so cool like visually and aesthetically gen z is so cool like i can't keep up with their fashion i think that's me getting old um (laughs) but they are like very into this idea of individualism like certainly there's trends that matter but like this idea of individualism customize your own experience design your own experience And and feeling like you can put your own mark on it and express it in your own way is a big thing that they like as well.
0: I I love it. The the last comment you made reminds me so much of my cousin, uh, my cousin Max. Um, And he's he's about he's about 16, 17 right now. And I was like, I can't keep up. Like fashion, ideas, well designed things. He's also gonna be probably I'll probably work for him at some point because he's like a, yeah. a brilliant minded um like student engineer, knows a bunch of languages, like is more well traveled than I am. Like and so I'm like, gosh, like I can't keep up. With your practice, Megan, what's your preparation process like?
1: So I am a student and will always forever be a student and like the line of like, do your homework and show up prepared is like something that is like, especially in grad school, like beat into you, like do your reading ahead of time. Um, so <laughs> I do a pretty strong stocking of the company or the, the clients the organization I'm, I'm working with to get at least like as an outsider view, what are these, what does this client do? Um, and then from there, I generally will always set up a phone call, sometimes it's a Skype, sometimes it is an in, uh, not an in-person, in-person when I can, um, but my clients are all over the country and all over the world, so it makes it kind of difficult. But we do usually do about a 30 to 40, almost an hour long phone call, um, preparatory, just an understanding, like, when I'm speaking with a group, what are the, what's the day-to-day life of the people that will be sitting in the room? Um, what are some of the strategic priorities? I do some work with national boards. And so talking about like, what are the strategic priorities of the organization? And if there's something that like completely goes against my values that like, we probably need to discuss if I should be the person talking that's never really Mm. happened. But, um, who are the people in the room understanding what are the politics at play, especially when I work with smaller groups? where uh, there's like 10 or 12 people and there's more opportunity for discussion. I want to know the political uh, inner workings and the interpersonal relationships that take place, the power dynamics that take place within, within a group. Um, but I mean, a big piece of it is, is what does the daily life look like of the people that I'm talking to? Daily life is such an interesting question because I think professionally, everybody's like, there's no day that's the same. Um, but what are some <laughs> of the, I, I ask that question because I want to know what are some of the struggles, but also the day-to-day responsibilities that the professionals I'm working with or the people that I'm working with might be going through. So an interesting example is I spoke at a a student conference, actually speaking to Gen Z students is the most nerve wracking thing that I do. I will take the professionals any other day of the week when I'm talking to them, to the students that are in Gen Z. I'm like, ah, this is so scary. Um, But I needed to know, like, who are the students that were going to be there? Why were they at this conference? Why they, uh, them of all people, as opposed to anybody else at their school? what was making them the people that needed to be there. And then from there, I was able to craft that message a little bit more. Um, For that group, it was fraternity and sorority council leaders. And so these weren't just the leaders within their chapter. They were the leaders on their entire campus. And so they're policymakers, they're programmers, they are community-wide leaders and have the opportunity to change quite a bit um, within their organizations. And so I needed to have that call to be like, where's the leveling at this this group? Are these just everyday students that are just required to be here? (laughs) So yeah yeah so I do that preparatory call. I do um, a lot of tailoring of my content to make sure that there's at least um, a few slides that speak directly to the priorities of the organization and um, making that connection it 's my job to be a translator of research to the industry and the connection to um, the group that is is hiring me to speak so it 's a lot of doing the homework on my own it 's knowing the people. Um, Knowing the industry, knowing where it's headed. Um, sometimes it's multiple calls. Sometimes it's no call needed because I'm familiar with the industry. So it really depends on the client. And My clients really do range everything from college students to architects to interior designers to uh, chamber of commerce people, local businesses. You name it; they're all over the place. Yeah,
0: I think you just you just gave sort of like the the roadmap for how to be a great consultant and a, a great a great grad <laughs> student tried. all all in one the the full-step playbook
1: (laughs) they're very similar sometimes
0: Uh, that's awesome I I really really appreciated your the notes that you made about preparation preparation research ask the question of what's what's their daily life like because that's something that you wouldn't wouldn't normally consider
1: Um, well and that's like a huge piece of it like language like I've sat in many conferences many many conferences who and there have been speakers, keynotes, like important keynote speakers that get up there and they don't even know the language. They don't know the, uh, the nuanced words that are utilized in the industry. They don't know. And some of that comes with being around an in industry for long enough, but some of it just comes from having a, a consultative conversation mm-hmm. and saying, who are the people in the room? What do they need to learn? And like, I've been to, to speeches. I've been to talks where people have no idea who's sitting in that room and can't connect. I've also seen Brene Brown talk live in front of me and know exactly what thousands of student affairs professionals do. Brene Brown is not a student affairs professional, but she knew what we did. And if Brene Brown can take the time to understand an industry, anybody can.
0: Yes, Brene Brown rocks. My, She's like Kelsey's life coach. <laughs> That's such a great such a great way to describe it. Uh, Kelsey she and I is. spent our, our Friday night uh, a couple weeks ago watching her recent Netflix special. Uh, and yeah. it rocked our world. It like totally opened up new conversations about us, our relationship, our dreams, things we wanted to do, and it was just like, I got my mom, yeah. Brene Brown's Daring Greatly for her birthday. Gave it to mm-hmm. her yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all about do it. If you want to
1: cry, listen to a Brene Brown audiobook. I do it about once every four months because I can't uh, <laughs> emotionally listen to them back to back. I don't have a good friend card <laughs> safely, but yeah, no, I mean that was something that I really role modeled after. Like I, I don't know what her day to day process is. I wish I knew because that means I would mm-hmm. have more close contact with her. But if she had the ability to take the time to understand like what my industry did, and I could feel connected to her as a speaker because she did that, and I was like a 22 year old brand new professional in the field, like we all have the time to know what what we're doing um, to be able to work with our client effectively.
0: That's awesome. So I want to continue the, the conversation about preparation mm-hmm. for for you and a lot of what, I, what I've been reflecting on is you know here you are you've you've written three books. You blog consistently. You have two different podcasts. I'd love to know about your creative process. Like what is, what is Megan Grace's creative world like? like? How do you, what inspires your content? How do you test or play with different ideas? Um, what, what's that like for you?
1: Well, I don't write about things I don't like talking about. Unless I'm enraged by them, like unless like <laughs> I did at one point, like you would never know that it's a rage post, but like I wrote it and, and I was enraged. And so I was like, I just need to write this because like, and so I wrote it and I felt a lot better. Like that's the beauty of like uh, writing is that it can be very cathartic, both positively and negatively. Like I no longer feel enraged about that topic anymore. and I, Now I feel like I have the words I need to, to talk about it in a graceful fashion when it does come up in my life, mm. neither here nor there. So normally I don't write about things I don't like talking about um, or I don't feel credible enough talking about, um, that's another, whole another conversation for imposter syndrome of like, when do I feel like I don't, I'm not credible enough to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and when do I utilize my civic right of being able to talk about things when I feel like talking about them? Um, I would say that, and, and when I say, right, I, I also include podcasting in there. I think podcasting is a way for me to, um, as you will find out, and you know, now, like, it's a great way to learn about things you've no idea about and that's the fun in it like you get to interview people and just straight up be vulnerable and say like I don't know about this please teach me like please inform me about this and like that's one of the things like a few episodes ago I released an episode on virtual reality I can barely play a video game. Like (laughs) I'm terrible at video games. Um, But I I met this young man and he, um, I met him at a conference. He was like 15 or 16 at a conference, like professional conference. And like, I was like, do you want to come on my podcast and talk about virtual reality and like advanced technology and Gen Z? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. And so we did. And um, he's smart. He's like probably one of the smartest people. Like I'm pretty sure he's going to be like the head of Microsoft one day. And uh, It was one of those things where I wanted to learn about something. So I sought out someone that could teach me about it. Um, I think that that's just like my natural. I've always been a student. I'm probably always going to be like a lifelong student in some capacity. Don't tell my parents they're so sick of hearing about school. But um, (laughs) yeah, so I pick and choose really what am I interested in? What do I feel like I'm passionate enough to spend my time doing? And um, I'm in some ways a perfectionist when you put things out, whether it's a podcast or you're putting out a blog or you're putting out an article on like a platform. Um, I stew over it. Even things that I know like the back of my hand, like I recently put out a blog post, not recently, but late last year, put out a blog post on my own city because people kept asking about suggestions and I wanted that to be perfect. And that's like Mm -hmm. so impossible sometimes to get something perfect. And so it, um... It can be cathartic. It can also be a little bit overwhelming. Um, And it can drive you a little crazy. Like I sat on that post for probably five days because I just wasn't ready yet. And then one day I was like, ah, whatever. I'm just putting it out there. So I sometimes have to push myself to that ledge as well. But it's like, what do I like writing about? What has enraged me? Sometimes if it's enraged me, it's probably because someone hasn't stood up for saying it. And so I have to be the one to say it. And then what do I want to learn about? Those are my primary... That's how I kind of prioritize what i want to talk about um and what's going to warrant me spending multiple hours on it i'm not the kind of person where i can just like type away at things and then be like push send it's going out there like no way i have too much pride in putting out things that are useful to people and are actually well informed um to just spew things and and that's not a dig at anybody but like sometimes we all don't think before we put things online and i think in some cases it's okay to think a little bit
0: absolutely ferocious curiosity and catharsis
1: Mm, yes wow
0: (laughs) okay so i want to take us to the moment where you're getting ready to to go up and and speak in front of front of a, a group small group large group how do you kick off that event like what's what's your your opening like your your beginning how do you i guess initiate the experiences that you that you run
1: so normally I speak oftentimes in the morning or I think that that's just common because I'm sometimes a keynote or I'm an educational breakout session or I'm part of someone's training or someone was like, let's make these people learn about data for an hour. Um, so <laughs> I always go up with coffee. I'm a, always a, a morning coffee kind of person, even if I don't need it. I think you and I are similar. We're like we probably actually don't need coffee. We just like the ritual at this point. Yeah. But um, when I actually start my session, I'm, I actually started this... Uh, in 2018 for Lent. I'm not, a, I'm not a very openly religious person, but I do practice Lent. Um, and I'm, I'm Catholic and I'm, I'm practicing. And, um, 2018 actually did a more public thing, which I never do, um, was I did a, a gratitude challenge for Lent because I wanted to build a positive habit. And this is a long story for how I kick off my sessions, but I really wanted to practice gratitude. I really just needed a centering activity. And so every day I would on my Instagram story or on Twitter or somewhere publicly, I would practice gratitude or I'd write a card to someone or I would be overly thankful at the grocery store because someone helped me get a card or something like that. Like I would say like, I am grateful for something once a day and that actually seeped into how I start my sessions. Um, And now I always actually practice with a moment of gratitude. Um, And every time I kick off a a session, 10 people, a thousand people, two people, I'm gonna sit and talk about why I'm grateful to be there because it is. I, I'm so thankful to be able to do this work every day that I'm able to travel the literal world and be able to work with people that have curious minds and want to work together and and learn things. And so sometimes my gratitude moment is just I'm grateful to to be here because you want to learn, or I'm grateful for the work that you do. Like uh, a few weeks ago, I worked with um, the uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. There's a grant contract and. Um, it supports sexual violence prevention educators um, within college, edu- like within colleges and universities throughout their state, and that's something I'm really grateful for. Like I'm grateful for these people's work. They support students that um, they're preventing, like. Horrible acts that could take place on a campus. They're supporting students that have experienced that. They're doing good work for their community. Like, what couldn't I be grateful for? And so, I actually do try to weave in this moment of gratitude um, and, and thanking the people that I'm working with because if if they weren't curious to learn, I wouldn't have a job.
0: That's amazing. It's so powerful that that all began with with you just wanting to create a a, a personal habit and then to create that really powerful group unifying moment where you're centering everybody in that room around around gratitude. Um, that's really, that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, I've had some really interesting moments of gratitude. Um, sometimes they they can be surface level. Sometimes when I know the people a lot more, like one of the industries I work really closely with is Fraternity and life. I know the people that work in that space. Um, so I can tailor that gratitude moment. But sometimes I'm working with boards of directors that are uh, I don't look anything like and in age, I have nothing in common with them. But like, how do I find a common moment with them is finding a way to express my gratitude for the fact that like they have their decision makers for thousands of young people that can be life changing. Like that is a powerful gratitude moment for them because sometimes the gratitude moment's not just for me. Like I'm thankful that I get to do my job, but like mm-hmm. I'm really thankful for the people that are there that want to learn because they are actually impacting the lives of like the future. And what they're doing. Like when I have my moments with Gen Z, I'm like, "Thanks for being born, you cool kids!" Like, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> grateful uh, you're around.
0: That's awesome. And gosh, it's it's so in alignment with with a lot of the research you've done around authenticity and like like it's hard to not be you know authentic and if you're actually creating a really powerful moment of gratitude, um, yeah. especially for a population of people like a demographic of people that that you've spent your life like voraciously curious about. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thanks for being alive, Gen Z. If you weren't <laughs> here, don't know what I'd be researching. No, I'm kidding. Most of the time, I, I thank them for, for showing up and, and learning. And, and one, first of all, being awake at such an early hour. It's like I talked to Gen Z at like a yeah. really early hour. It's like 11 o'clock at night. They're like, please be quiet. Um, so, yeah, it's this really powerful thing. And I, after that experience of like doing like my gratitude habit development challenge, whatever you want to call it for Lent, um, we could talk about how my weird, viewpoints on religion later, but um I looked into the science around gratitude and and how it it humbles us and it changes us. And I was like, this is a habit that I'm so glad that I developed because I think people all the time, like I like my boyfriend's like, you don't need to send your doctor a thank you card. You paid them for the service. And I was like, I know, but like there's some really terrible doctors out there. And like my doctor's great. Like so why shouldn't I send them a thank you card? So yeah, it's a it. good habit. It, it it takes time. Like it's an action you have to develop, though. It's not. It's not some to to develop really genuine gratitude. It's not something that you can just be like, I am grateful now. So everybody yeah, work on it. it.
0: I'm I'm a total geek about. Gratitude, appreciation, showing people value, um, like, especially when you talk about oxytocin and the power, the power that oxytocin has in a group's mm-hmm. dynamic, um, especially when you're publicly acknowledging and what that does for people uh, and like what that does for your group dynamic and bringing people together, feeling that sense of trust and mm-hmm. then opening them up to share and to get more out of that experience. Like, it totally changes that dynamic.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I could geek out about oxytocin and gratitude all day.
1: Let's
0: get real chemical. <laughs> so you, you've mentioned a, a couple of the different, the different types of, of facilitation that you've done and the, the consulting that you've done with different groups. And so like most recently, you're mentioning the, the boards of directors and the smaller groups that you're working with. I'd love to dive in a little bit more into the dynamics that you help create with the different group, small groups that you work with. Like, do you have any types of rules or expectations or group norms that you set with the people that you work with? Or how do you create the structure for the people for those groups that you work with?
1: It's really dependent on the kind of the type of session I'm doing. If I'm doing an hour keynote and then people are never going to see me again, like there's kind of a, a known unspoken rules about conferences, like don't interrupt the speaker first and foremost, Um, and pay attention and like don't be distracting as an audience member. And I'm, you know, like those are like so baseline. Um, I really, when I'm kicking off a session and it's intended to be more discussion-based, I try to give them a a run-through of like, I'm going to do probably 20 to 30 minutes of content and then we're going to have like a one-minute turn and talk to your neighbor. And then we're going to do 20 more minutes of content. And then we're going to do a turn and talk to your neighbor. Then we're going to take a 15-minute break. Like I do try to like let them know like, this would be an appropriate time to engage in conversation or it would be encouraged that you would engage in conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that comes from just in being a classroom instructor. If you've ever formally taught a class and time blocking and how important that is for learners, that has helped a ton. Um, But it's definitely something that can be learned for those who don't have a formal education background of like time blocking, a a learning sequence is important. Um, But in terms of like expectations, no, I tend to work with a lot of professionals that are there for professional development. I I do work on an ongoing project right now where I'm doing a little bit more strategy coaching. So I've done training presentations for them. Now we're doing ongoing coaching and kind of strategy development. And so that's a little bit different where I take it team by team with Mm -hmm. that client. And like, it makes more sense for just have one point person or multiple or what that looks like. And In that regard, they're looking to me as a service provider. So I take the initiative to say, I'm going to follow up with you in July and August in these fashions, unless it makes more sense for you to do this way. If not, I'm going to like I'm going to lay out the expectations of what you can expect from me, and then if you we need to change it to meet your interests and needs, we can totally do that. So, I mean, for me, something that is I don't lock myself into rules. I don't lock myself into things like that. And I treat every client that I work with as individual because it's not my job to have them conform to me more than it is of Mm. me to conform to them. Um, Or at least have a malleable structure of what I do that is acceptable for them. Because most of the time I come in for an hour, two hours, Or in this case, when I'm working with an ongoing client, I'm coming in for a few months, but I'm coming in intermittently. I'm not there every single day. And so like me trying to change is change what they're doing fully is it's not feasible. So I really take it. And it it comes again with the doing the homework, you know, when and where you can kind of impose what is a a deal breaker, a non-negotiable and what's really flexible when you know the organization.
0: Uh, Absolutely. But I. I also want to point out like, the, the practice that you illustrated about leading people through what to expect and when and, and illustrating just the flow of, of that experience and, and how okay. powerful that is for creating control and creating like, a sense of direction for, for the person experiencing the, the learning program that you're putting on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's a really artful way to, to, to describe that.
1: And and it's not a matter of even putting up like an agenda and being like this is what we're going to do from nine to nine fifteen. This is what we're doing from nine fifteen to nine twenty. Just giving them a general idea of like please, without being like please hold your questions to the end. Like I say, there will be a great opportunity for discussion because a lot of times the way that I structure a general presentation that I give is very it's built in a very intentional way. It's, it's psychologically built so that you are not overwhelmed by the information I'm telling you. And there's always two people that are like, um, are we going to talk about this? And I'm like. We will in about 15 slides. So um, I do a few different things. Another thing I do is I take a, what I call like a knowledge temperature test. And I say, like, what do you know and what do you want to know more about? And I do this like in uh, whether I'm talking about Generation Z or my fun fact is I'm a volunteer risk management educator for a fraternity. And so uh, every even risk management conversation I have with with chapters is like, what do you already know about this topic? And what do you want to learn more about? Because I don't want to waste my time on and beating a dead horse on things you already know. Mm. So let's spend more time on what you want to know and, and tap into your curiosity and tap into areas that you're actually interested in.
0: Can you, can you tell me more about this, like how you psychologically build like your your content to not overwhelm people? Like, is, is there like a certain research like that you base um, it off of or is it?
1: No, my logical brain. No, I don't know what I base it <laughs> off of. I've done this, like my like what I would consider like the the skeleton framework of my presentation so many times now. Um, But I think it makes sense. It's also the, some of the flow of our last book that we just wrote of like, we're talking really, really high level about what is a generation. And then we zoom in a little bit further and like what shapes a generation. And then we talk a little bit more about like specifically what shapes generation Z. And then we talk about like, you know, it's like we, I say that I go from like 30,000 feet and then I narrow in to a blade of grass and then I jump Mm. back up to 30,000 feet and I narrow in on a blade of grass. Um, so that you have a baseline of the 30,000 foot before you're like, I think I'm going to come land and and play around in this area for a little while, not to throw in some aviation uh, imagery. But uh, yeah, so I really do think about uh, making it as large and societal and seeing that it's not just what I'm talking about. Is like, oh, this is just another generation. Like I also put people in the when I'm talking about it societally, I put people in the image of that. So I make them contextualize and think about the content from someone that they know that meets that demographic. So mm. when I talk about like, okay, we're talking about Generation Z, this very nebulous 65 million young people, I want you to imagine the ones that you know, like, and I would say, like, I have two nephews that are this age. Like, and that helps me to recognize it. Like, who are the Gen Z in your life? Like, are you a parent to them? Do you have cousins that are this age? Do you have students that are this age? Do you have employees that are this age? Do you go to church with kids that are this age? And like, who are those people that you can think of? Like you already brought up that your cousin is this way. So I encourage and like people that I'm speaking with to do that themselves. Um, so I make it really big and really small at the same time.
0: I'm totally and I'm totally imagining the rhythm of what this looks like in terms of taking it 30,000 feet, bringing it down to a blade of grass. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminds me of like other allegories of the same thing where it's really challenging. Like, if you just live at 30,000 feet, it's really challenging to get to the frontline intimate information. Mm-hmm. But also, if you live there in the frontline information, it's really hard to also contextualize that in a, in a more strategic trend sort of sort of way. Um,
1: yeah, that was something that I uh, actually had a supervisor. You know, the supervisor, Stacey Nicodemus, shout out. Um, shout out Stacey. She, They're going to listen to this. P and E
0: programs and events are listening to this podcast in their in their
1: room. So the homies. Yeah, um, <laughs> she gave me a good piece of like positive feedback. She was like, "You always live." Uh, she always told me that I was really good at seeing like the thirty thousand and the blade of grass at the same time and standing in the middle of the atmosphere. I don't know if those were exact words, but she was like, "You can stand in both places and pull the people that are like literally examining that piece of grass down to like the last blade." Um, all the way back up to the people that are like on that plane and trying to figure it out. And I've really taken that with me into a lot of things that I do of like, that is so true. Like you've said, like there are people that can't do one or the other and they need to be forced in and out. And so like, I have to also structure sessions and I structure speeches the same way that they're always going to be blades of grass and 30,000 foot people in the room. They think about things so differently, but I can't just give two presentations everywhere I go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> the world so would be such a better place if there were two Megan Graces at the same time, like Ain't presenting simultaneously. That.
1: My parents are like, <laughs> God, one of you is enough. One of you is good.
0: Question about the knowledge temperature test. When when yeah. you typically insert that, is it like after you go through, you know, both the the high level and then the the, the intimate detail and then you do the temperature test after that?
1: I do a working definition. So like a very academic of me is like, I can't do anything without giving people a working definition. So I say like, this is my definition of generation Z, 95 to 2010. This is how old they are. You know, like thinking about that as its main qualifier, what do you already know? And what do you want to know more about? And I do it like probably three slides in, four slides in depending, but it's very early on. It's before I even get into like anything else. Mm -hmm. So very early on because I need I need to know like, okay, well, half the people in this room have already read the book and the other half have like listened to a podcast about it. Then like I don't need to sit and belabor a ton of things. Like we can have more in depth conversation in certain areas.
0: Yeah. That's great. That makes that makes total sense how do you re-engage a disengage group or when you, when your talk goes off the rails or, you know, like hopefully this doesn't happen often, but if there's a heckler in the audience, like, how do you, how do you bring everybody back in? What's your, what's your process of re-engagement like?
1: Um, So that's interesting. Like I've actually only had like one really bad experience facilitating. It wasn't my content. So I I don't feel as bad about it. But um, I did. I've had people in, in the group that just didn't jive. I'm also the kind of person like if you are being rude in a session where I am leading the session, I'm going to say something about it. Like and so if you're being rude or you're being out of I always say like if you have something you'd like to say, please come talk to me after the session. Well, I was with this group for a whole weekend. And so the the people that were off put by me saying that continued their behavior the entire time. Um, And they actually self-regulated. At the end, I had multiple people come up and be like, I'm so sorry that those people were like that. That's something that like we are embarrassed by their actions. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go home and sleep fine. Those people are probably going to sleep poorly because they didn't learn that much because they were too busy being distracting. So if we need to feel bad for anyone, it's not me. It's the people that weren't paying attention and that were more invested in being distracting um, that we should be concerned about. So I appreciate your kind words. I really do. Um, I just hope that you all can, can work together on that moving forward and you can catch them up on the content that they're going to miss. So I, I don't make it about me. Um, when I have people that are uh, the people that are acting out or people that don't get it, it's, it's oftentimes not about me. It's probably about something else that's going on. It's like the bit, the big kid bully. Like why did, what's going on? Like no no bully is ever actually a bully because they feel like it. Like there's something else going on beneath the surface. And so I try not to make it about me. I try to, I like, like a duck, let it like, let the water fall right off my back. Um, it's very rare that I have those kind of situations. Um, if people are completely disengaged, I'll say like, it's, uh, I would most of the time, 90% chalk it up to an energy thing. Like either I'm right after lunch, right before lunch, I'm right after breakfast, I'm right before dinner. Like I'm always around, I always joke, I'm, like, I'm around a meal time, <laughs> is when I like am speaking. And so when it's possible, I try to do, um, you know, a quick stand up or, a, you know, turn and talk to your neighbor um, kind of thing is, is a big one because it re-energizes them that, okay, I can talk to the person right next to me. So um again, I don't I don't let it belabor me that it's it's my my doing as a facilitator or speaker sometimes. It's just things that are outside of my control and sometimes it's people that came into the situation with a bad mindset. And I'm not gonna be able to change their mind. So I can try, but I only have so much <laughs> breath.
0: Yeah. So you've you've mentioned A couple ways in which you intentionally structure your presentations and Mm -hmm. build in different moments for people to sort of reaffirm or or create their learning pathways. Do you do you have other tools or things that you apply that help people learn or retain your content? Mm,
1: Yeah. So throughout my sessions, I like the beginning, I, I do these things called turn and talk moments. And at first I built them in because I needed to take a sip of water and I feel awkward <laughs> taking a sip of water in the middle of a session when I'm like the keynote speaker. Um, and then and just it also helps us- glug,
0: glug, glug. Exactly. Back.
1: People do that and that's totally them. I get self-conscious about it. Like I don't get self-conscious about much, but that's the one I get self-conscious about. So I built them in as a way to take a sip of water, but then I found that they're really powerful because it gives people a framework to know what they're thinking about. So um, soon after I do like the knowledge temperature test, I... I give them what I call like my three considerations, like my three questions. And I always joke, like I ask more questions as a speaker and facilitator than I actually give suggestions for. For the most part, I uh, will ask these three questions. You're going to have an opportunity to talk to your neighbor about these questions. And so I want you to write them down and be prepared for those moments because we only get 60 seconds or 90 seconds for those turn and talk moments. So we got to be snappy. Um, And so my three questions that I always, I call them like my questions for consideration. And it's something that I, I share that it's something that I take into conference sessions when I am a, an attendee. So like when I attend a conference to learn, these are the questions I ask myself after every session. And that is what stands out to me? Like, what am I going to go talk to somebody about? So that's the thing that stands out to me. What? Does it? How does this influence my role, like my individual role? And then what does this influence the overall organization or the overall experience that I'm contributing to? And so whether that is, let's say, guidance counselors at high schools, um, that will be like, what stands out to you most? Okay, well, my students are different probably. And how um, does that influence your role? Maybe it's the way that you're communicating with them. And then what does this mean for your entire school or your entire organization? Um, and really it's, it's, it's kind of this idea of like this locus of control kind of thing of like, I start with what is I can do and then what can I do and building out of that, that, that circle of control of like, how does this influence my team? How does this influence, um, the entire organization? So I, I try to contextualize information that way and build it concurrently. So as we're narrowing in, if you will, on certain niche areas of my, my research, we're also thinking about how it applies to larger settings. (music)
0: We'll be right back after taking a quick break. I just really appreciated the like building in the moment where you give people space to integrate the different things that they're learning, and in a way direct direct them as they shine their light of consciousness to all of the different elements of the stuff they're learning. Like when you're saying, like the different sort of rings of the impact of so you talk about their role like what it is that's standing out to them and how does this change their behavior like you're really actually giving them that integrated moment where they're like okay here's how this actually matters to me and then they sort of generate that for themselves and i thought that was that was a really powerful way to give people sort of a a pause reset to actually integrate the stuff that you're presenting
1: yeah. And I think it's been, and I kind of put it back on them. Like I'm not going to do unless it's like this client that I'm working with in an ongoing fashion. Like I do want to know how they're integrating this stuff. I want to hear how they're being successful and in, in implementing the information. But a lot of times I'm like, I leave, but you go back and you impact your organization. So I'm just trying to give you a framework and start that conversation because so much gets lost. So much gets lost at conferences. Like everyone leaves jazzed and like fired up. And to actually do something with it, like you have to start that brain warm-up and thinking mm-hmm. about how it it's gonna impact your your work when you take it back. Because you also have to have like a little bit of a packaged pitch, if you will, when you go back from a conference and say, like, I think we need to do things differently. And here's why. Like, if you're the only person from your team that's attended that conference, people on your team are gonna be like, What? No, like you're you've you're drinking the loony juice because like we're doing fine. Um and they're like, No, I saw this one speaker. And she said, we need to change things because Gen Z is coming. Um, but you have to have that like more like manicured to be able to say that and be like, we need to change our communications. We need to change X, Y, and Z. We need to do this, that, or another. And so, yeah, it's. A, I think it's also a way for for those who are in the session to think about how they can prepare to go back and talk about changes within the organization. And I don't say like, let's throw everything out. Like my, my term is adapt and pivot. Like how do we adapt and pivot what we're doing Mm -hmm. um, to just be a little bit more effective?
0: Yeah. So this is a, this is a good question because I I wanted to transition and talk a little bit about how you, how you wrap up the, the whole experience. And, and I was wondering, you know, being the consideration of you want to empower these people to go to whatever context they're going into to talk about how do we adapt and pivot and how do you empower them with that? So beyond like the integrated moment where you're, you're helping them reflect and pause, like are are there other sorts of things or or maybe with your clothes that you build in to help people translate the things that they're learning to their different contexts? Or And I guess, I'd love to know if you could share some of the, the, like, way, way you empower people this way.
1: Yeah. So my favorite types of sessions are the ones where I'm not just doing a keynote and leaving. Like I love those. Those are great. Like I love being any, any opportunity to speak. Like I will take it um, because I love being able to do this work. But um, the ones that are really, I think the most powerful are when we have like an hour after my session, because like I say that I do uh, a crash course. It's like a really intense overview of Gen Z. And then part of my language, they have this like, oh shit moment where they're like, oh shit, what am I going to do with all of it? Like there's no other way to put it. Like, sorry everybody if it hurts your ears um (laughs) it's okay (laughs) but it's truly it's like it's not a light bulb moment it is like a scared deer in headlights i don't know what i'm gonna do and like we need a cathartic hour and I channel it into strategy development. So what I do is we sit down and we it's usually like an ed breakout if it's at a conference or sometimes it is a uh, just an add-on session when I'm working with smaller groups. And we get into groups with people that either do the same work or we want to talk to or we want to share ideas with. We talk about the things that we're currently doing in ways that we might need to also adapt and, and change that way. In some ways, it's I'm sitting there and facilitating this conversation between professionals that either work on the same team or work in the same area. Um, Like I did this with communications professionals last year. It was really interesting. They got into discussions about like, okay, what's an effective newsletter in the digital age when young people don't check their email? How do we facilitate a weekly newsletter in that regard? And I was like, I don't have the answer, but that person might, like, I don't have all the perfect answers and that's not what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm also able to lead people to the people they need to talk about, talk with to, to figure that out. And so doing the strategy development sessions where we can ask harder questions, more nuanced questions, more, um, strategic questions about really industry oriented things, um, to apply it in different ways. And so that's, I, I create kind of a strategy framework. And I always say like every conference you go to, you need to walk away with three things that you can do to be better, or you wasted your money. (laughs) sorry like you have to at least i'm a big fan of threes like it gets like again my capitalism power of threes is everywhere um but like you have to walk away with at least three things in every like professional development setting even if they're small big you name it or you wasted your money but you creating those three things i it's not my job as a speaker facilitator to tell you what to do I'm guiding you to water, but like you need to drink the water, mm. whether that's via a recyclable uh, straw or just straight lapping it in. Like <laughs> you got to figure out what you're going to do with it. Cause that's like, that is the, 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 the reality of it. I don't go home with you after the session. I don't hold your hand to make you do it either. Yeah. So figuring out what you're going to do with the information is on you as a professional, because I say, you know, your industry, you know, your job and you know, your organization better than I can ever hope to learn mm-hmm. in the time that I have with your client.
0: Definitely. And but it, it sounds like too, like in the way that you structure some of those debriefs that it's giving people sort of that structure to take action with it or to, to develop a support structure with other people
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. to make that happen.
1: Yeah. Or even just like a small to do list. Like I that's like you just need three bullet points, like leave with three bullet points of the guy example of me being an attendee. I go to South by Southwest EDU every year. And it's like, I go because it's like blue sky thinking meets like actually really good strategies from people. And one of the sessions I went to was like, I think it's called the future 20. It's a 20 minute, like shorter, sometimes than a TED talk kind of thing. And um, this guy presented on how to utilize the grief model to coach people through change and project management. Oh, And one of the things that I then added to like kind of my consulting is making a note of like, where do we have concern of loss? If we're like, and that's a question, like I ask clients now, like if we're doing something differently, where's our concern of loss? Like in thinking about, because that's a a big piece of helping people realize they have to change, like. What is truly going to be lost if we make this change? Where's the, where the source of the concern? And when you say that, people will be like, ah, it's actually more political concern. Like we're losing political power if we do it this way. And then, we, you know, it opens up for a very different conversation. But like that was like a small thing that I was able to do from that session was to write down, like, ask your clients, like what could be lost if we do things differently? And a reminder of that is stuck in my brain. So, I mean, I'm one-thirds of way of paying for that conference. <sighs>
0: <laughs> yeah but that's a, I learned a lot question. of other things
1: wow. yeah I learned a lot of other things though don't worry guys
0: the grief model for addressing change management oh, that's crazy
1: fascinating absolutely fascinating 10 awesome. out of 10 would suggest
0: so along along the, the lines of of insight and things that you've learned like what would you say is the the most important speaking or facilitating lesson that you've learned and if there's a story we'd love for you if you could share
1: that Um, find your, like find your friends, not like the iPhone app, but like find (laughs) your, like I've realized that for me speaking, like you think you need to be really extroverted to do it. Um, yeah. You also need your moments to be introverted is a big learning lesson. Like I have to like go have like an hour of like not turning my brain off, but like reconnecting because I feel like I expend so much brain energy when I speak. The other piece is just having people that like get it, like. That get your life. They don't have to be a speaker in your same fields, but like they get the life of a speaker facilitator because no one really gets the drain, the emotional mm. the like drain. Like sometimes it's like my emotional drain is more intense than the fact that my feet hurt from standing in heels for two hours, kind of thing. Um, so like I've got this group of women. That are some are speakers, some are facilitators, some are, they, they're kind of all within the space of like kind of a service provision in that regard. Um, but there's quite a few that are speakers and it's like, a, it's our little, it's like a monthly mastermind group that we're a part of. And just having some of the people like get what it's like to be frustrated with a client um, for speaking or... Um, that you can air those grievances to, like, send a Facebook message to, and just be like, "Can you believe this? Like, this happened again." Um, just like any office job has their colleagues. Like, we started the conversation talking about the importance of coworkers. When you're a speaker, like, you are your own coworker. That's it. Like, you might have other people that help you, um, but you are your own coworker. People are hiring you for you and your personality and your your area expertise. And so, um, especially for me, I am extroverted. Like, I need coworkers like building in what I call like fake coworkers or my G chat friends or like people that I can just send (laughs) stupid stuff to during the day, like a meme that I would send a coworker if I was working a nine to five job. You need those distraction moments. You need those like moments of turning to someone that like understands the frustration you're going to like when a client will be like our potential client will be like, we would like to hire you to speak, but we can't pay you anything. And you're (laughs) like, what? Um, and having the people to, to turn to and be like, this happened again. And like me too. I get it, girl. Yeah.
0: So where does one, jo- they're all
1: over. The place. Where does one what join
0: the, the meme mailing list?
1: The, the meme yeah, mailing the, the, list? The Gchat me-
0: coworking meme mailing list.
1: Oh, that's my, just my Gmail. If you want to Gchat me. All right. I'm signing um, up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like everywhere, but yeah, it's like finding your people and finding yeah. your, like I've had to like learn to build my like digital, like kind of like call my, like, uh, my work remote, my work from home, work from everywhere kind of people that I can just be like, can you believe this is ridiculous? Like I've got my handful of like friends that like I know that I would love working with them in a nine to five job in a very traditional sense, but I love having them spread out all over the country too. So
0: yeah, it's definitely a unique environment. But it, uh, now I'm reflecting on like the drain that you're talking about. It, it is so real. Like in in my own experience, the way my energy works is like through the the climax of that event, and like it, as soon as it ends, I am just. Like so energized and alive, but then there's somewhere about 45 minutes to an hour after that event. I just, I just completely crash and I am starry eyed and drowsy and delirious and not making sense. And the, the emotional drain and the energy drain is, is such a, such a real thing.
1: So it's funny that you say that that you agree with it because like I didn't really get it until so I'm a I'm a whole thirty year I love um, whole thirty and I follow Heck yeah um, Melissa Urban she's the headmistress of whole thirty is her official title <laughs> um, she created Mr. it I didn't and know like that. <laughs> yeah so she's incredible I've met her she's like one of my like life role model humans like you want to talk about like uh, completely authentic and who she is online talks about struggles like really deep deep stuff like she is my person her and Brene Brown um, but she started sharing this thing that people noticed was like, she would go on Instagram stories and she'd be like in a hotel room, like clearly done for the day, but like in her professional clothes. And it's like, it's her trend of like lying in sleep with your clothes on, like lying in bed with your clothes on. Like, you're not done for the day, but you're like, I just need to be in a bed with my clothes on. And then I'm going to get up and do it. And then I realized I do this all the time. I go back to my hotel and I just like sit in my hotel room and like my professional clothes under the covers <laughs> <laughs> and like mess around on my phone for 40 minutes and then i pick myself back up put my shoes on and take myself to dinner but she's like she like illuminated this for me that i'm like you just need that hour to like go sit in your hotel room with your clothes on yeah. in your bed you're like not fully committed to sleep but like you're just like i need to be horizontal and rest for a moment
0: yes and just stillness and peace
1: yeah or like whatever it is like some like me it's like scrolling through stupid twitter yeah. like nonsense twitter <laughs> or you know like you have to have your mind you're like return your brain off time because you are just like full throttles engaged. And that was also helpful for me to recognize, like, I need my, you know, 45 minutes lying in my bedroom, like with my clothes on in my bed. But I also like can't do multiple speaking and like back to back to back to back -back things because you are just so drained that like I've had to figure out like, where's my happy spot of like, how many is enough? How many is too many speaking engagements? What's the nature of the event Um, and and how that's going to wear on me?
0: Two things. One real quick. Did you know that, that you were one of the big inspirations for uh, my girlfriend and I to do Whole30? I don't think I had a chance to tell you that.
1: I'm so happy. How um, have you, did you, did you love it?
0: I loved it. It was life-changing and we've done it a couple times. And like, that's yeah. like kind of the, the same sort of like framework for, for meal prep is, is very similar to how we, we still eat to this day. And it's been, it's been incredible.
1: Yeah. And you do it, like, I always say, like, I'm doing, like, full 30-ish, like, food, like, next week is going to, like, it's a clean week where you're, like, I just need to, like, not eat nachos like I did for lunch today. Like, get back off of, like, some of the things that it's it's the habits, but you recognize them now. Like, I have a lot more clarity around, like, I can't go completely gluten-free before I go to Germany because if I have beer and a pretzel, I'm going to pass out. Like, one beer and one pretzel will... I'm gonna have to go home not from (laughs) intoxication just straight up from a gluten problem like but I can't remove it fully out of my like stomach or I'm going to be ill so like what are the things that I can remove that are being a little bit inflammatory to my life right now instead it's just so much it's so much clarity on your like body it's amazing
0: yeah I I have this weird hypersense about inflammation now like I can literally feel in my veins when I've had too much like grains and all of a sudden I'm like why can't I feel my fingertips anymore this is weird It's the worst. Like
1: I am having sciatic like problems right now in my, like my muscle, my back and Michael's like, oh, you probably did something in class. I was like, no, I definitely did something in class. But the reason why I'm not recovering is because I had biscuits and gravy yesterday and pizza the (laughs) night before and like all these things. And he's like, no, that can't be it. I was like, I'm going to take a turmeric and just go completely clean tomorrow and like see if it helps because it totally does. Yep. It really does. Like my <laughs> muscle has been in pain, but I've been like, I'll cure it with turmeric, guys. Like, don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> turmeric is so great. um How else do you reset? Like, so cr- crawling under the covers. Are there are there other sort of things that you consistently build in to help you reset from a big drain like that.
1: I'm notorious for fleeing the country. Okay. Not in a crime way. Uh, just <laughs> in the, like ed- people are like, where where to now? And I'm notorious for fleeing country, getting high on being out of said country being at somewhere else and be like, I love this life. And then booking my trip to the next place strategically. And I know I'm going to be tired, but I have not left the, the first place. So oh. yeah, um, I do. It's tr- Like, it's weird. you think that someone who travels so much that travel would be the opposite thing of what you want to do? I, I do. I need to like, I have the deep seated fear that I'm not going to see enough of the world. Like that's my, one of my biggest fears is like, there's such a beautiful world that we live in and I'm not going to see enough of it. Um, Another way that I reset is I go completely hermit mode um, entirely. So like the last weekend or in a half or so, I've just been like, I'm not leaving. Like I'm going to run baseline errands, but I'm going to do the things around my house. Um, I'm not a really stagnant person in general. So um, when I come off of a really long travel stint or speaking, I like, I'm like, I'm going to organize the Tupperware. I'm going (laughs) to, when I get home, I'm going to do the things because it allows me to be like, I'm renewed, like my Tupperware is organized, my fridge is cleaned out, like I've got good food in the fridge, Um, my groceries are good, my laundry's folded, like I'm like, let's rock again, let's get a good night's sleep, but like, let's rock again, Um, and that's a big thing, is I can't just completely drop off and do nothing, I've got to have a little, a little activity, I'm terrible at full-on vacationing, like you'll never find me just posted up on a beach chair, that ain't me, Um, (laughs) but going and exploring like resets my brain. It gives me creativity in new places and new ways and and seeing beauty in different spaces helps me reset. And then, you know, taking care of my home. I'm a cancer, like my uh, horoscope is a cancer and it's all about like keeping your house happy. It's like your center place. Um, And so those are the things I leave my center place and then I scurry right on back in and make sure that it's all sorted out.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. Um, Megan, I've got a couple more questions for you. Three quick questions. Two, okay. two sort of serious cool stories. One more so geared towards uh, people listening in, how they can continue to engage with you, learn more about your work. The first question was: I'd Love if you could share a a story when your session, either speaking or facilitating, bombed, flopped, or, or went sideways. What happened? Did you recover? If so, how? If not, like what did you do, and what was that like?
1: I don't think I've had any like major, major ones. I've definitely had some questions where I've been caught off guard, um, like majorly caught off guard. Like one of my very first like early professional conversations or like presentations they did. Um, I had a, a seasoned professional in the field pretty much ask me like in more eloquent words, you're very young. Um, oh. Where uh, the words were, you're very young. Where do you find the confidence to talk like that? And not in the, like, I don't believe you, but like, a, you're very young. How did this happen to you? And I straight up said, well, everyone suffers with imposter syndrome. And I'm definitely feeling it right now. But I've done a lot of research in this field. And that's where I find the confidence that I know that I showed up today uh, with my stuff learned is kind of what I said in a more eloquent way. But I would say that was one of the ones that caught me off most guard. And then I, I always have one or two people like, you know, every few months it says like, I just don't believe in what you're talking about. And I'm like, that's fine the beauty of our opinions is that we're allowed to have them mm-hmm. you and we don't have to agree with each other.
0: I, well, one, I appreciate like the, the authenticity in which you dealt with the first one and, and just like being like, well, I'm dealing with imposter syndrome right now, but like also I'm incredibly prepared and I know my stuff. Um, I think that's so powerful. Um, and then the other one is like the practice of non-attachment and just like not being attached to whether, what they do with that information um, because you're so prepared from it. That's so cool. Um, So you've mentioned a couple of role models, uh, Brene Brown, Melissa Harding. Um, My next question was going to be about speakers or facilitators uh, that uh, people that you admire or or you consider role models. Um, So is there anything else you want to say about those two or are there other people on your mind that you'd consider role models? Or
1: Yeah, so a little bit more like a closer home kind of person um, would be Dr. Jessie Alquist. She's in higher education, works specifically on digital leadership. I talk about her all the time. She has become... Um, such a good, like close friend and mentor and, um, kind of, we kind of say co-conspirator in like a good way of we can bounce ideas. Like she's always my number one, like person when like somebody's on the nerves, like Josie knows like about it. So someone I can talk to about getting advice and guidance and who does lives in a very similar space that I do mostly in her education, mostly in nonprofit work, but also mo- moving more into corporate work. So we have a lot in common. We just talk about things that are different, um, which is good. We're not in competition with one another, so we can support each other. Another one that I just, um, as a leader, look up to, um, and I've heard him speak multiple times, is uh, President uh, Michael Sorrell at Auckland College. Um, I've heard him speak in big, big settings, like South by Southwest EDU on the main stage, and then small settings like dinner parties. And he's just an inspiring guy. Like, I think that what I take from him as a speaker is he is passionate. He is, believes in the work that he does. And he you can tell who he is. I've heard his same speech like three times. And every time I'm like almost moved to tears. And it is authentic every time. It is true to who he is. It is his story. And I just absolutely love that. Um, so big fan of him. I haven't seen him like facilitate in small sessions, but he's president of a, a college and university. So um, he's not necessarily like a guy with a ton of free time, but he still teaches first year seminars. He's still interacts with the people that his work most directly relates to. And I really appreciate that about him. Is like he could in every way have this huge ego and he decides I don't need to, like, what's the point? Like it, it gets in the way of me getting my mission done and the mission of this institution done. So that, those would be a little bit more industry specific to me that are, uh, they're not Brene Brown, as I say, America's life coach. <laughs> um, so big fan of Brene, big fan of, Melissa, big fan of Dr. Josie to a shout out. And then, uh, Michael Sorrell.
0: Megan, last two questions. One's, one's quick, but for anybody listening in, how can they keep up with you and follow your work? Um, and how can they support you?
1: Oh man. Um, I would say best way to stay up to date with, um, kind of where I'm at and doing stuff is Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I use those very differently. Um, my Twitter is part very professional, the other part Bachelor in Paradise tweets. So you get what you get. Sorry. <laughs> Depends on when you show up to the party. Um, I, but I, the same with my Instagram. I, I'm a, I've always been very passionate about being who I am professionally and online as well as who I am as a person. Um, so you'll get a picture of me speaking, but then the next day, like, you're gonna, like, I picked up a pumpkin last night. Like you get everything, um, uh, because when you're working with me, you're not just working with like some random speaker. Like I say that I make friends every, every session I get to facilitate or present, I get to make friends. Um, and you know, better than anybody, Patrick, as my friends, like I'm a zany person. So you get both. Um, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter and, um, you get a lot of updates from the airport. If you follow me on Twitter. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn. That's where I share a little bit more of my professional stuff. So either a lot more podcast stuff goes there and um, just more professional happenings, I guess. Um, When I've got resources to share, I try to do that um, on LinkedIn as well. So it's a really good community for that. I love the thought community on LinkedIn. So um, you can find me all of those. My username is just Megan M. Grace across the board on those. And then ways you can support. obviously listen to the podcast. It's good times. Um, it's fun storytelling. I've got some books out if you're more of a reader, um, but really just engaging in the online communities and, and having these conversations with one another is, is a big piece of it. Like a lot of the work that I do is driven because it's coming from a need or an interest from people. So when people are like, I want to learn about X, Y, and Z and Gen Z, I'm like, that's a great idea. I don't have an answer for you, but like, it's my job to find that answer out. So let me go find it for you. So engaging in those communities online is is another big a piece of support so I'm around you can find me
0: thank you thank you and please everybody go check out Megan's work listen to the Gen Z podcast check out her three books like incredible pieces and so much to to learn um Megan the the last question that I have for you we're gonna ask you to to send us off by sharing an impactful moment but before I wanted to to just acknowledge and thank you for for your time and I think over the course of our friendship, like I've learned so much about learning experiences and the education space from from you. And, you know, you talked a lot about Brene Brown. I've also been reflecting a lot on the, the quotes and the basis of her work with the the man in the re and the man in the arena poem and being somebody mm-hmm. who's out in the arena and you know, over our time together, like you've been somebody who've put yourself out there with your ideas for the whole part of your career with like inciting the research around Gen Z and then now turning that into the, the thing you're most passionate about. Is, and really it's something that I, I deeply admire. And the impact you've had on me has been beyond that. Like you introduced me to Cotter's experiential learning model, which is something that I still <laughs> reference. Uh, you harbored me uh, when I've been ill and travel weary. And you have dubbed me the surrogate cat uncle for waffles, which is like also an incredible honor. Um, and so I just wanted to say thank you for, for sharing so many meaningful moments in, in our lives together. And I'm just so happy to be able to share your light with, with everybody who gets a chance to listen to this podcast.
1: So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, And I think of, you know, there's so many things that you have taught me and I could go on and on and on. I mean, we've shared some really cool opportunities to learn from each other. And I think that that's a a huge piece of it of if we are friends and we are, whether we're interacting as friends or professionals or whatever it is, like as humans, we are social creatures and it's our job to learn from one another. So um, I'm happy that we're always able to learn from each other and with, with each other and, and share things because that's what humans are supposed to do. Society is a big team sport. That's been my tagline lately.
0: <laughs> Society is a big team sport. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right, so are you ready to send us off? Can, yeah, what sh- do I got to do? Share, what, share a story of an impactful moment. What, what happened and what was the impact? What's, what's made your, your work in this space as a speaker and facilitator matter?
1: Ooh. Okay. Let's see. An impactful moment. Um, I would say it's a compilation of a lot of moments. I share this one quote at the end of every session that I do and I call it my grounding quote. And it's like this quote that we had from our 2017 study. And it it gives me like chills every single time I get to read it. And it it just, the question that was answered by this respondent was, Um, how will your generation make the world a better place? And like it goes something along the lines of like here, the thing about our generation is that we're a generation of dreamers and doers. We don't just imagine it, but we chase it. And I think about how that is impactful to me every time I get to share those words with other people because truly we as older members of older generations, we have this opportunity to shape the world, like shape the world of young people, shape the future, and with the right mindset and the ability to work with each other and listen to one another and like treat each other as humans. Like we have such a good opportunity to make the world a better place. And so I would say like my impact moment is like one, when I found that quote and I was like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever read. And to the fact that I get to share it on a monthly, if not bi-monthly basis with people that want to learn.
0: That quote, almost like it, it encompasses the hope of the generation.
1: Like in a, It does. That's why I have to share it because it's like so, so, so good. And like I always say, like, if I could find that person, I would if I could find that responded, I would hug them. Um, but I can't. And that's the beauty of social science.
0: Wow. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect place to conclude the the podcast. Thank you, Megan, for sharing your time and your experiences with with all of us. And thank you to everybody listening in. If either of us said something that resonated with you or made an impact in any way, let us know by voice message. Uh, You'll find a link for that in the show notes um, or send me an email. If you'd like to learn more about Generation Z from Megan Grace, check out her work on megangrace.com or her podcast, The Gen Z Podcast. Thank you all again for tuning in and have a conscious day.